Hi, I'm Lala Ward, and I'd like to welcome you to Doctor Who on Target. Welcome to Doctor Who on Target. podcast where we discuss the target range of classic Doctor Who novelizations from the 1970s and 80s. Those long ago days where, if you missed Doctor Who on TV, you missed it forever. Unless, of course, you bought the target novelization. So, join us, jump aboard the TARDIS, set the time rotor for late 20th century Earth, and, with a wheezing, groaning sound, We'll discuss Doctor Who on Target. Hello, this is Greg in Swansea and welcome to our second part of the uh, Doctor Who Target cover special. And um, I'd like to introduce you to Grant. Grant, could you tell us a little about yourself, please? Yeah, hi, uh, my name's Grant, obviously. Um, I'm a friend of Greg's. I live in London at the moment, and I'm make, trying to make a career as a writer. Great, great. And you, um, you, you, you were there at the exhibition. First of all, can you tell me a little bit about um, your Doctor Who background? You know, did you read the, the, the Target books? Um, I read the Target well, well, there's a bit of background. Like, I was born in 1992. And I was introduced to Doctor Who in about 1996. My auntie's husband had um, a massive Doctor Who VHS collection, and he gave me this video. It was like a big, bulky double tape of Planet of the Spiders. Um, and I watched that, and I was hooked. I was like, this is brilliant. Like, end of episode one, giant spider turns up. I'm like, holy shit, this is brilliant. I've never seen anything like this before. Um, so that really started my sort of Doctor Who um, obsession, love, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it was only with the Target novelizations. I was a bit older when I could sort of go into town on my own and check out the second-hand bookstores. And yes. I just go looking around, oh, you know, big books, small books, whatever. And eventually I'd come across, oh, shit, there's a Terence Dix. Hello, Terence Dix. Oh, it's Doctor Who and the Giant Robot. And that was the first Target book I ever bought. So I was like, oh, you know, this is very nice. I'll pick it up. And obviously, being a child of the 90s and the early noughties, all these Target books would be like 50p a pound because Doctor Who itself hadn't come back yet. So there was really a lack of interest. So as time went on, I'd pick up Doctor Who and the Giant Robots, um, The Five Doctors, um, The Awakening as well, which probably had one of the best covers. Um, Just that big, is it the Malice? Yes. Malice face just looking right at you with a sort of the smoke or the steam or the gas coming out of its nose. Yes. Um, So those were really my first instances of, um, Doctor Who targets, I suppose. Oh, that's fabulous. That's fabulous. Because I, I was struck, as I said to you, when uh, we when we went to visit the exhibition. Um, although you didn't grow up with these covers coming out there, you said something which uh, struck me as really interesting. Was as you just mentioned about um, the Plant of the Spiders uh, double VHS box set. 
that it's those covers which are sort of burned into your memory through looking at that. So how did you find looking at the Target covers? How, how did you find they were compared to, say, the, the video covers? Um, it's interesting, actually, because I think um, for me, the VHS covers have a closer relation because I could look at, you know, uh, a VHS cover of The Green Death and I can remember where I first saw that cover or what I was doing or what the weather was like that day. Um, my history with Target novelizations is often just, oh, I found this in the bookstore, you know, or it's just like every Saturday I'd go into town, try and find a book, you know, whatever. Um, so it's interesting, like with the, the Target books, it was very much just find what you can. But with the VHS, with those covers sort of burning into the back of my brain, it was more of a, a journey, an odyssey. It was more of a natural progression as opposed to, oh, what can I find this week, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. It makes sense. It's quite it's quite interesting, actually, because the yeah, it's the nostalgia factor. I, I know um, people of my age, um, you know, I'm, I'm in my late 40s, you know, who, um, when we talk about the Target covers, we say the same things that uh, you were saying there about the video ones. I can remember where I was, I can remember what I was doing, mm -hmm. and uh, you could say it's sort of burned into your to your memory, but it's got that that little bit of your life attached to it as well. Whereas, well, I... from, sorry, I just can say, whereas yeah. with for me, the videos, of course, which I was absolutely thrilled when they came out of, the, the covers don't have quite that same significance because i've already got the attachment to the target ones if that makes sense well i remember um going around the cartoon uh, museum with you you know you'd be looking at you know uh, invasion of the dinosaurs you know, oh, John yeah. and the clack and you go oh i remember seeing this it was brilliant you know it's fantastic and i can look at it and i can appreciate the context of like sort of you and where you were as a child and what the 1970s um because Doctor Who then, there were no repeats. There was no iPlayer. There was no online streaming or whatever. However, you can watch Doctor Who. Yeah. Yours were pretty much, you watched it once. Yeah. And you never saw it again or you missed the episode completely. Yes. So there's like, there's no, there's no in between. It's like, so I can see how for you, your version of repeats would be reading the Target novelization. Yes. Yeah. I think um, we, we mentioned before, didn't we, that um, the Target books for my generation were the iPlayer of the day. Um, yeah. But it's interesting, actually, because thinking of the, the video covers, um, a lot of people complain with the Target covers that come the early 80s with Peter Davis and they experimented with using photographic covers and they were appalling. They were a dull, unedited uh, a photograph of something not very strongly related to the episode and they were dreadful but some of the video covers were actually very very good pieces of art weren't they do, well, do, do any strike you you know that are really well, good I think I think um it's um Earthshock um the target novelization is the target novelization cover for Earthshock I think it's just Peter Davison he's like on one knee pointing a gun Yes, I think I think it's like a blue, you know, like a blue bar cover on top with a doc, red Doctor Who logo. Yeah, um, and it's pretty pretty boring. But then you look at the original VHS cover of Earthshock, and you've got a big face of a Cyberman looming over. You've got like a bit of a nervous Peter Davison. Yes, you've got Adric and like you know his star sort of breaking up into different little pieces, oh, and it really yeah. gives. Like I remember looking at that cover. Okay, a blue 
the shock. Oh, Cybermen are in it, but it's not it's not 1982 again, so that doesn't bother me because I wasn't even alive then. <laughs> um, but it's um, it's it gives a sense of, of the grandeur of the story, like because that's what really appealed to me. Like as a child, like especially looking at the VHS covers, I'd be like, oh my god, there are Daleks in this one. Like this Daleks yeah. and the Master and Ogrons, like. I think that's where, especially with Doctor Who 1980s target novelization suffered, was they just didn't have a clue of what they were doing. Yes. And I think it's only 10 years later, those fans who were sort of dissatisfied looking at these boring covers, they were always like, well, the VHS are coming out. We want to make sure these look as, as, as exciting as possible oh. to actually compete with a different, a whole different um, VHS range of other things you can watch. Like, this is why you should watch. Yes. But then that's a testament to Doctor Who in the 1980s, where it just wasn't quite understood and perhaps not quite loved it should have been. So when, with those covers, Grant, um, mm. when you look back at them now, the video covers, I mean, um, you know, what what do they say to you? You said Plant of the Spiders was, you know, really exciting. What's going on? What's interesting? Because that, that's the same sort of thing with me. I, I remember seeing Doctor Who on TV and thinking what on earth is this this is fabulous this is so different you know what what do you feel about that well it's interesting because uh, i was a, a child of the 90s and not well when i went to school no one knew about doctor who so i was like my experience with the vhs covers is a very solitary experience if that makes sense like i could not go yeah. to my friends and say oh look at this and they'd be like wow that's really cool yeah like i'd be on my own going hmm because my parents had no interest and my brother and sister had no interest. So I'd be like, oh, this is really cool, you know, looking at this um, VHS cover. Yeah. In fact, I was in Reading a few weeks back with my friend Rob. And we go, to, uh, every time we go to this, um, like, retro memorabilia store. Yeah. So they've yeah. got, like, old, like, Planet of the Apes figurines or the oh. black, you know, like, really retro stuff. And yeah. they have old uh, music um, vinyl records. And I remember looking at the VHS section and they had just loads of Doctor Who videos. And I was, I was to my friend Rob's like, oh, holy shit, Rob, look at this. I'd be like, Rob, this is like this is where it all began because I saw a Planet of the Spiders, yeah. you know, double VHS tape, you know, looking at the cover, going, "Wow!" Like it was like my, it was just like it was looking at it again, like for the first time oh. again, you know. Um, and then I go through more like, "Oh gosh, here's the Leisure Hive," or you know, they'd have the Ark in Space, yeah. um, or just the pure simplicity of um, Robots of Death, where it's just like one robot replicated, like. 10 times on the cover yeah, to show like there's there's like an army of them like all the same for um uh day of day of the daleks which is yeah. a very simple cover it's just three daleks on the cover with like that black and green sort of triangular i think it's triangular yeah. cover and i was like, saying to rob like oh, this is brilliant because this is the episode where so-and-so happens or uh this is um tom baker's first story um and some of them as well, they just like the very, I think it was the 1981 Revenge of the Cybermen was the first VHS Doctor Who to be released. Yes. I yeah. think. Yeah. And looking at that cover, it's fantastic. It's spooky. It's actually got mystery. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is supposed to, you know, what Doctor Who's supposed to be about. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it's a real testament to those covers of the, nine, you know, the 80s and the 90s, those VHS covers, because they, endured the interest 
of yeah. people during those wilderness years. Yes. So maybe back in 96, someone saw the Paul McGann TV movie and thought, oh, I really enjoyed that. And they'd see the other covers and think, oh, I'm intrigued by that. You yes, know? yes. If the, could you imagine if the VHS range had been a failure back in the 90s, like nobody cared or they made the covers terrible? Like, would that continued interest for Doctor Who got to Lorraine Hegacy, you know, and said, oh, people still want, you know, so let's bring back Doctor Who because, you know, people are still buying the VHS covers um, because there's still that intrigue and nostalgia for Doctor Who. Um, That's an interesting concept, actually, Grant, because, yeah, it's almost like um, without those those um uh, the vhs's and uh, the, the the target books and the other books in the range as well yeah mm. it, maybe it wouldn't have carried on maybe it would have been forgotten it's um it's rather like you see being released now um uh tv programs from the 60s and 70s and 80s which um i'd completely and utterly forgotten about but loved at the time mm. and um they've brought these back out so there's i suppose these days you know you can produce a dvd for you know, uh, a lot less money, and it's, I suppose it's profitable to to make, even if they sell quite limited numbers of copies. But um, of course, that first BBC uh, video, the Revenge of the Cybermen, um, was hugely expensive. I think to to produce and make, and I remember waiting for years before I could actually see a copy of that um, because it was just so. I mean, in those days. Um, local video stores I, th- I think that first video was some was it something like 70 pounds <throat> or something like that was today? it which is like an enormous amount of money then utterly enormous and um I, I remember begging um you know a local video store going around to it and they said no because we'd never get our money back because there'd only be sort of 10 15 people watching it and mm-hmm. uh so it took years before i i, I actually saw that yeah yeah do you do you think then? Um, so some of these target covers that you saw at the actual exhibition, did any strike you as being of sort of real artistic integrity, or do you think they're just um, they're just there to serve a marketing purpose? Or what what was your feeling about them uh, on that on that level? I think there is real sort of artistic integrity um, behind. Um, the target covers because they're they are at ultimately at, at a cartoon museum being shown on display so they they've already proved in some respects their worth of wanted being wanting to be seen by the the public um like again as a kid because this all happened to me as a kid i remember the fair came to town and when the fair came to town the local markets came as well so you you know have sort of all sorts of markets turning up stuff you wouldn't usually see and i remember seeing a framed um a framed picture of um story uh frontier in space frontier in space so you've got that you know the cover is the ogron sort of looking out ominously and you've got like uh the spaceship flying through space and the planets and the stars in the background and then right in the corner that's not even related to the picture you have like a picture of a draconian a little circle and his head popping out of a draconian yes i know the cover yes yeah and there's and no it, doctor on that cover I don't no think. there's no cover but it's amazing the strength of the i suppose the story but especially the strength of the artwork like here's a doctor who adventure where we don't even need to show the doctor on the cover because yeah. the iconography is strong enough to garner your interest yes and it yeah. really lent itself into like a a comic book yeah comic book territory it's like that pulpy fast-paced action 
which is what a lot of the target novelizations were, especially yes. with Terence Dix uh, uh, wrote like the Web of Fear. Yeah, I mean, for obviously now we we can see Web of Fear, um, but even when I was young, I was like, oh well, Web of Fear doesn't exist, so I'll just have to read the target novelization um, because you know that's the closest I'm going to get to seeing the story, except for like episode one. And I remember reading the Target novelization like one night going, this is brilliant, Web of Fear. Like it was a real tape page turn. I was like, oh, this is fantastic. This is brilliant. Um, and then years later, you finally get to see the story. And controversially, I think the novelization is better than the actual story itself. Oh, you know? well, um, that, that, that is, a, is a big... Um, uh, <laughs> it's a big question mark, isn't it, over some of the... Um, the the episodes versus the target novelization because uh, certainly I I very much had that experience of reading some of the target novelizations and then finally many years later getting to see the actual uh, TV program and it's very different to what was in there. Mm. It's quite interesting because you mentioned um, you mentioned about um, it being a solitary experience then because Doctor Who wasn't big then it was uh, yeah. and there weren't many people and. I've heard many people say that, and it certainly was for me a solitary experience. I didn't know any other Doctor Who fans, and um, it, it was quite interesting that um, I would go to town on a Saturday morning when I was very young with my mother. She would treat me to the the latest Target book out, and we get it from W. H. Smith or, or yeah. whatever. But um, only this Saturday, just gone, I was having a browse through HMV and um, there was a gang, I'd say they, they were probably about, you know, 16, 17 year old lads and there was a gang of them there and they were looking through and then they went, um, oh, Doctor Who, great, what, what have they got? Should we get something to watch tonight? And um, one of them said, um, oh, look, these are the old ones they've got here as well. And the rest yeah. of them went, oh, no, they rubbish, they are. And um, he was left on his own to look at this. So it was it's quite strange that even though the whole gang of teenagers wanted to watch Doctor Who tonight, it was new mm. Who, and there was one guy left wanting to watch the old ones, which is a real... It sort of gave me a little sort of um, peak want of, gosh, I remember being like that, you know. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Do you, do you, do you feel then... Um, when you were at the museum there, did did the were, were the um, paintings uh, sort of larger or smaller than you expected? Or um, oh, they were much larger actually. Really? Um, I was I was surprised because when I went there, I thought oh, it's just going to be lots of little pictures. You browse for five minutes and you're bored, but they were they were bigger than I was expecting, and there's a lot more going on than I expected in yeah. a strange way. Because I remember us having this discussion of you know, what should a cover or a poster for anything represent? What's the qualities of a story that you want to really want to emphasize like and advertise to say, you have to pick up this book. You have to, you have to read it because of just relying solely on images you see on a cover. It's not like a, a trailer um, for a film or for a new series of Doctor Who. You can go, oh, look, there's explosions and there's, you know, what, Daleks and running around. Like, no, you've got a still image, one still image. Yes. Like, and how reliant you are on that image being good. Otherwise, you're not going to pick it up. That's <sighs> really interesting because um, what you're saying there, Rina, so do you think um, 
I noticed as well that when they were seeing them in full size, and they were quite yeah. a bit big, I suppose, were they like A4 ish size or A5? Is it something like no? Yeah, A4. yeah, A4, so, somewhat A5, I think, yeah, somewhat. Yeah, but a lot bigger than was reproduced on the actual book, and you could see the amount of detail and, like you say, mm. more action going on there. Um, do you do you think then? Well, there's an interesting question. So, looking at those ones, do you think you can judge a book by its cover? Do you think? Um, you know, does it? Well. <laughs> it's difficult, isn't it? Because if you think some of those ones that you were talking about, um, they've got fabulous covers, but the the content, especially the the later ones, you know, was mm-hmm. um, uh, a little lacking in the in the. You know, they were strictly 120 pages of fast flying straight through. That's the action. That's what's happened. Well, it's just, you know, you, you know, they say never judge a book by its cover. Yeah. By the end of the day, the target novelization was made for children. Yeah. Yeah. And it still is for children and people have just grown up and they still love them with that, that love and that nostalgia. Yeah. Um, and so when it comes, I think, especially to a younger audience, you have to appeal to them. You have to um, attract to them. Um, I mean, if you just never had these covers or they'd all been like one still image from a shot from an episode or publicity. I really don't think the, the target novelizations would have sold as well, you yeah. know, regardless of the quality. When you've got someone like Terence Dix writing these su- superb adaptations of um, great and not so great Doctor Who stories yeah. and making them compelling and exciting, that doesn't matter, really. Well, that won't, that won't, re- the only way they're going to get bought is if those covers really match the quality of the storytelling or at least the imagination of what the story is trying to achieve. Yes. It, yeah. it falls into that category of, you know, it's a, comic comic books you yeah. know they don't say oh comic book issue number seven with a picture of a, an alien you want to see the swooping helicopters you want to see the explosions you want to see the heroes and the villains um it's really really imperative um i think yeah absolutely i i'm wondering um when you were describing that what was coming into my head about that was um these days with modern doctor who um we actually have sort of movie posters made for each episode don't we so before yeah. um the the season comes out we we tend to have these fabulous movie posters of dramatic uh, scenes from each story and uh, you know it, it's just interesting that it feels to me as if they've gone back to that tradition of selling it visually in an mm-hmm. image before it's actually um uh, before you know, be, uh, to actually grab your attention in the first place. Well, I think as well. I think what the target the target covers do better than say the new series movie posters. The target no- target novelizations they have a bit of dirt underneath, a bit of grit underneath the fingernails. Yeah. It's a bit of rough and ready. Like those BBC official posters, they're so clean and yeah. so concise. It feels a bit manufactured. Yeah. But you look at the original cover of, say, Pyramids of Mars, and all you've got is, you know, Dr. Sarah and a mummy with, like, a sun um, blazing in the background. And you look at the doctor's face, and it's sort of dark and gloomy. And, you know, Sarah's pointing a gun, and you've got this, like, old sort of grimy mummy that's, you know, hulking, yeah. like, it, you know, it's going to kill someone. Yeah. And it's really, it like, that cover really sets the tone of we're going into before Pyramids of Mars. It's a scary, grim adventure. Yeah. No one's really having fun. And it's staying true to what the story is. Whilst you look at some of these, um, I suppose, modern Doctor Who TV posters that they do, and they don't really represent 
anything of what that story is supposed to be. And probably that's a discussion for another day about, you know, sort of, yeah. the, sort of the quality of those modern storytelling, yeah. uh, modern talk to who stories. Um, but there's, there's a spookiness to the target novelizations. Yeah. There's, um, there's, there's something really alien about them, I suppose. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. I mean, I, I agree with you um, about the, the, the modern movie poster type covers for modern Doctor Who episodes that they're they they they're too clean, they're too sanitized, they they are they look they look fabulously dramatic in a sense, but they're disconnected from the work. And what I noticed about the Target um uh covers, which thinking about it now is something which, you know, I must have noticed all the time I was buying them was the huge amount of detail that's put into the doctor's face, whichever doctor it is, mm-hmm. they put a huge amount of detail and expression on on their face. What's going on behind those eyes? And I think that's showing surely that he is the central character. It's about him. Well, I think it's interesting you mention that. You know, there's an emphasis on the doctor's face because although he's ultimately the hero of each story, he is this mysterious, frightening man at times especially when it's like William Hartnell where you, you don't quite know who he is there's always that mystery of there's that obviously it's the ultimate mystery of you know Doctor Who who is the Doctor you, you we don't know who he is so although he's doing the right thing every day we don't necessarily know if he's a villain or a hero even though we know he's a hero you know there's still that mystery we don't know where he comes from so the target covers never really betray that mystery of who is Doctor Who you know, yeah. it's never, it's never saying, "Hey, this is the good guy." Because you'd see, look at the Curse of Paladon cover, um, with the Agador and yeah. Arthur Suntari and Ice Warrior, and you got the Doctor in the middle of uh, these three characters, but he doesn't look happy. You know, it's not—he's not trying to be your friend. Yeah. Um, which I think is a, a a nice detail. There's always a mystery. There's an, an enigmatic quality of. Because then you look at the Day of the Daleks um, target novelization, you've got Daleks firing around, you know, with Ogrons, you know, sort of death and the, the, the mood of death and destruction. Yeah. And you've got John Pertwee in the middle of it, just sort of smiling, sort of quite content, like, hey, I'm a friend. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a mass yeah. contradiction if you line up all the covers together. Right. And you look at the Doctor's face, like one, man, one episode, he's this mysterious, hidden figure. The next minute he's smiling. The next minute he's like trying to, bite away a dinosaur clack you know yeah. trying to bite him yeah, he's this man of constant mystery and i think the target novelizations never forgot that yeah um yeah except maybe in the 80s but you know i, I did that's the thing as well i didn't really collect the the target novelizations from the 80s because the covers just didn't interest me they just looked boring that's there really seemed in- to be no virtue of keeping them on the shelf of course i i you know i would read them and they were they were decent stories but in just terms of covers like i would choose invasion of the dinosaurs over um i don't know time flight or something like that yes Um, yeah absolutely time flight and uh, yeah i i agree with you entirely there i think um it's interesting that the when i started collecting the uh the doctor who target books um there was somebody in school said, "Oh, I've I've got a Doctor Who book. Um, you you can have it if you want. I think it's called." They said, "Oh, I think it's called the Daleks." He said, "I can't remember." Mm-hmm. And I thought, "Well, I've got that one, but I better go because I know I'm vaguely aware that I think there was more than one Dalek story." So uh, this was. Yeah. So I remember going back to his house after school, and uh, he pulled out this book which he'd had. 
and it was Doctor Who in an exciting adventure with the Daleks. But mm-hmm. it wasn't the Target one. It was, I think, is it Phantom, I think, from the 1960s? Yeah, um, I've got a copy of that as well. Have you got a copy of that with the fabulous cover of him in a re- with the red-lined cloak William Hartnell's Doctor standing there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got that oh, one no, as well. Yes. Now, the amazing thing was, although I thought it looked fabulous, that sense of mystery which you were just talking mm. about, I said, oh, I don't want it because it didn't match the rest of my Target ones. When I was, yeah. Now, oh, I wish I'd kept it. But, um, yeah, it's a fabulous cover, but it just didn't match. In Is, is that a typical Doctor Who sort of... Um, you know, what, what do they say some Doctor Who fans are like? You know, they sort of have everything numbered properly, is it? I, I don't know if I was... OCD. Dis- yes, the OCD. Yeah. I wonder if I was displaying those tendencies, right, uh, all those years ago when I was eight. I don't but that, know. But, but uh, that's interesting you mention that, because I remember seeing that cover and I took it straight away. I thought, I don't care, it's Doctor Who, because I lived in a time when Doctor Who wasn't around, so I wouldn't take for granted, oh, it doesn't match the collection. Oh. Um because I was, I was, you know, I was hungry for. It. I was like, oh, anything that's Doctor Who. Or oh, look, look at this book, you know, or this book as well, Caves of Androzani or uh, right. uh, Megalos or something like that. I just pick it up, be like, because I can't afford to be picky yeah. because there's such so little around. It's not like, oh, these have been freshly printed. These are books that have been owned by kids, and now they're sort of lying around in second-hand bookshops, you know, so yeah. hoping someone will pick them up. Oh. Um, that's so interesting, Grant. That really is, because especially in, well, now, we've we just, for the past decade, we're we just in a glut of Doctor Who, isn't it? My, my mother's constantly saying to me, you know, you, you can... You know, you can watch Doctor Who any time now. It's on mm-hmm. constantly, constantly repeated on different channels. And, uh, you know, and it's uh, just so amazing because the the event was if Doctor Who was on when I was a child, I, I would not go anywhere. I stayed in because if you missed it, that was it. You never yeah. saw it again, you know. And obviously you had that sense of I'm taking this cover. It might not match. It might not, but this is... There's not enough about, there's, there's a shortage of it. Well, I'm interested to ask you, actually, like, obviously in the last 10 years, you've had a glut of Doctor Who just being everywhere and the rise of your social media and how you can watch television now. Yeah. Do you think in 30 years' time, yeah. or even 50 years, well, when it gets to 21, no, 2066, 2063, when it's the 100th anniversary of Doctor Who, Yeah. do you think that generation will even be aware that target novelizations existed do you think they'll um still be reading them or do you think they're just a product of their time and ultimately be forgotten that is a really interesting question actually grant because i do believe um well i think and this is something i'm guilty of my 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 wife is always saying to me she said you don't read anymore she said you listen to everything and Mm because of course i all my life I've read and read and read and the past sort of five, six years or possibly the past decade, I don't read books. I hardly read them. I always buy the audio ones, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I, I listen to them when I'm going about doing things. And you, you definitely do not have the same experience. Um, it's not as good as reading it at all. And um, I, I, thinking of that... I'm wondering, now that the episodes are available, people 
watch and watch and watch the episode, don't they? It's there. It's readily available. Mm-hmm. So with target novelizations, you said, are they a product of their time? I, I think they probably are. I think they probably are. Because why would a child now... Because they, they don't um, bring out novelizations of, of them now. They bring out Blu-ray and DVD box sets or downloads. Yeah. So, so why would you read what's happened when you can see the actual finished product with the actual characters and, and monsters? It just it just doesn't make sense, does it? Because it's interesting. When we went to the Cartoon Museum, like it was a lovely display. And the museum itself is fantastic. Yes. I would recommend anyone go and just check it out. It's great. Could you remind accessible. everyone where it is again, Grant? Where is it? Oh, gosh, I don't know, actually. Oh, um, right. But I'm it, sure you will put a memo at the end of the podcast um, will, telling yes. people the, where it is. The Cartoon um, Museum in... Well, I'll put something up in the podcast, yeah, in central yeah, London. Some, yes, yeah. We'll, we'll edit this We'll edit this bit out. We'll yes. edit this bit yeah. out. Is it Bloomsbury? Um, Bloomsbury, yes. Yeah. yeah, around Bloomsbury, I think, yeah. yeah. But no, the, the Cartoon Museum itself was lovely and the display was, you know, great. But while I was there with you... A lot of the people who were looking at the display were 40-year-old men, yes. you know, people who are older. Yeah. I think there was a press release, because obviously it's a quiet year for Doctor Who anyway. It had a press release where you'd have, you know, the big opening, Peter Capaldi would there, and you'd be the talking and say, oh, I remember, this is with Deborah Watling and Bernard Breslow, the Ice Warriors. Yes. I think Peter Capaldi is a man who's nearly, well, he's in his 50s now. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if younger people would necessarily want to go to an exhibition to see that art is it just tailored for a plus 40 audience like because i know the bbc um the the cash cow that doctor who is obviously they are going to promote as much as they can because it's their legacy it's their right they want to make sure as many kids read these target novelizations yes but i'm interested when they re-release a lovely new you know doctor who and the silurians and you have a nice forward by you know mark yates or gareth roberts yeah are kids picking up those books or are adults picking up those books who are just going back to their nostalgia because they can have a lovely shiny new cover um and that's not a detriment at all to the legacy of target novelizations you know because they are fantastic and i love them forever yeah but it's also how they will fare in the long run of in just in time you know how will they how will they endure will they still be read or will they eventually just oh they were once target novelizations and they were great but blu-ray came along and 3d tv and you know bbc iplayer like is that is that gonna take away that legacy um, i think it i think it will i think it will yeah I think it that's, will. that's really interesting um i i think uh it's provoked in me that you discussing that it's provoked in me that sense of um i think they do the pity of it that the, they do have quality you know many of them have are really well written adventure mm-hmm. stories you know and um the only thing i can think which might be their savior is um and it sounds like i'm promoting them now but well i am promoting <laughs> them but um the actual um the BBC audio versions that um, are being yeah. released at the moment, it is breathing into them a new lease of life because, um, the, the, I mean, the one we I've just been listening to now, Death to the Daleks, um, it's, um, it's it's fabulously read with the sound effects and you've got, mm. um, you know, sort of top artists and people performing on them and 
they are actually really really good I, I've been surprised um how good they are you know and uh so maybe they they've got a new Lisa like that maybe a younger generation would listen to those whereas maybe the incentive to read these ones isn't there but they do read the new uh, are they not called new adventures now grant what are they called you know the sort of new the modern the doctor B who novel, like the bbc books range yes yeah those sell really well don't they but i i think they do yeah I they keep making them so they must be yeah but um, i think um it, it is quite sad like you say it, it tended to be middle-aged men who were visiting there and i think that is that big nostalgic fact nostalgia factor so um yeah, it's really interesting. But, Go on. but it's not either a detriment to target novelizations because they, you know, I I read them and they encouraged me to read and then to go on to um, other books like the Thomas Hardy or Charles Dickens and you know it really it's it's a it's a great step on point to um, just to be interested to read, especially as a kid when reading is not all that attractive. You're like, I don't want to read. That's boring. But yeah. oh, I could read a Doctor Who adventure. That's great. And then you think, well, I like reading. Oh, I want to further it. You know, oh, let's go for this. And it's, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great gateway. Um, and especially, I think a lot of the writers of Doctor Who who've written for the last 10 years, they read the target novelizations as a kid. And that really enthused and gave them, um, I suppose, in, you know, enthusiasm to, to read further and then to go to write and then to go on to possibly university and become the writers that they are today. So it's no detriment to the quality of target and target novelizations, but like anything in history, it's all eventually forgotten. And I just think with this rise of um, social media, it's going to happen sooner rather than later, I think. Well, that's... I don't want to finish the podcast on a sad note, so what I'll do, <laughs> I'll pick up on some of the words you just said, which I agree with you entirely. The target novelizations were an inspiration to today's writers, and they were a gateway to stepping into another world of literature, um, whether it be, um, for me, um, it was moving on then into Charles Dickens, um, John Wyndham, um, all sorts of uh, uh, fabulous authors, Jane Austen, or I, I can't, you know, all the classics. And mm -hmm. you, you feel that as well, Grant? Oh, completely. And what was just as important to the, the quality of the writers and the storytelling was the um, the, the artwork cover, because oh. they, 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 without one, you don't have the other. Yeah. So right. it's a, a massive testament to the artistry. Who who uh, was it? Chris Achelios? Chris Achelios, I think. Yeah. Achelios, Achelios. I'm terrible pronunciation. Nope. Like it's here. Hello. Hello. Yeah. 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 You can hear me. Yeah. It's it's a testament to um, his talent and you know and his imagination as well to really connect to and understand what Doctor Who is and what people want to see and to translate that into a piece of artwork is uh, is an incredible incredible feat and talent and should be commended. Yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly there, Grant. That's fabulous. And Grant, I'd like to say thank you so much for joining us. And um, thank you. Are there any um, are there any Doctor Who target novelizations you perhaps like to join us to record in the future? Oh, well, send me a list and I'll, um, I'm more than happy to, um, actually, probably Web of Fear. If you're going to do Web of Fear at some point, um, I'll happily join in on that discussion because I have a lot of opinions on that story, especially yeah. with a modern, with the fresh context of actually seeing it for the first time a couple of years ago. That um, will be yeah. a really interesting one. I don't know if it's actually been released on. Um, 
uh, yet. Has it has it been released? And I'll check that one out. But as soon as it is, or if it has mm-hmm. been, um, Grant's going to join us again from London, and we will discuss the web of fear. There we are. Thank you very much, Grant. Um, that's all right. All if done. I didn't make so, it too morbid, maybe that's a discussion for another day. I don't know. Which one's that? Too morbid, do you think? No, yeah. You know, talk about the you know the lasting legacy of what target novelizations are. You know, like, will they be read in 50 years' time? I mean, I hope that's not too morbid for no. you. No, well, actu- actually, because when um, I did the one with that guy who joined us, um, David, um, I've forgotten his name. But anyway, um, when we did that, it was very much a question of, oh, I remember where it was, and he was saying, you know, what it, to him as a child. So I actually think what you've just recorded there is mm. a perfect um, uh, second part of it because it's okay. looking at what its legacy will be. Will it live on, you know? So, yeah. you, you know, in the first one, you've got two old men talking about their childhood memories of Target, and that's why I thought it was great for you to... You've trans... You've crossed that bit over into the videos. Oh, that's what I should have asked. Actually, could I ask you just one yeah, sure. thing, just to attack onto it? And just before we leave, Grant, could I just ask you one last question? So here we are, 30, 40 years later, um, visiting um, the Cartoon Museum in London to see the Target cover exhibitions. Do you think when you were in your late 40s, you'll be going to the same Cartoon Museum to see a display of the VHS video covers? Yes, I think I will. I think I will. No. Yeah, I think I would. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Deep thought there to, to think about I had about to think that. about that. Yeah. Because at the same time... I know, that's interesting, actually. But yeah, I think I would. But at the same time, well, you know, I, those VHS covers, like I, I still own those VHS, although they're somewhere up in an attic back in the middle of West Wales. Um, I'll never throw them away. No. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I went to that shop in Reading and they were selling these videos for like 15, 20 pounds each. And I've got at least 30. So I think, you know, if I want to make a quick buck, I could easily sell them off. Oh, <laughs> God, that's, that's such a sad way to No, you can't. I, I have to say, though, I, I've been there as well. I, I did that, sold off my uh, Target, my original Target books when I was, uh, I think I was 18, 17, 18, and I became a man, apparently. And yeah. uh, oh, biggest mistake I made, but there we are. So I'll yeah. never burn. I'll never burn my my Doctor Who books. I'll never do that. I'll just sell them on. Oh, just make a, make a quick buck out of them. Make yeah. a quick buck out of the system. I got a buck out of you. Yeah, yeah. I got I got, <laughs> no, I got joking, a good price for mine. Actually, I was really it was I, I enjoyed the money at the time. But uh, you won't do a Capaldi because you know what Peter Capaldi did, don't you? When he were, yeah. became a punk and he burned them all, didn't he? Oh. oh, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you what you can do as well. You yeah. can tell them I have. A copy, all your listeners, all all your listeners out there, I have a copy of Doctor Who and the Daleks Target novelization. Oh, is it Target? I think it's Target, yeah. A very early copy, but it's signed by John Pertwee. And all it says is John Pertwee. There's no dedication to anyone. So if anyone's interested in owning a copy of a Target novelization, the Orc... orc you know, with an autograph for John Pertwee, because it's already worth a bit of money, apparently, do get in contact with me. And how can they get in contact with you, Grant? Um, Would you like them question. to tweet you, or do you want me to... Do you, they can, Of course, they can email doctorwhoontarget at gmail.com. That's perfect. That's the perfect way to do it. 
excellent excellent and i'll pass on any messages which we get there so i'll hold on for the for the highest bidder please tweet us at doctor who on target that's dr who on target or email us at doctor who on target at gmail.com that's the end of this episode and i would like to thank bbc audio and penguin random house for kindly supplying us with preview copies and to Smerin's Antisocial Club for the use of their version of the Doctor Who theme tune. The biggest thank you goes to you, our listeners.